Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by BSO and ABF Creative and is scheduled for one fall. And on the mic, we have the one and only Robert Latow. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They trying to take the wave from your boy. That's it with your boy. Better pray for your boy. It's Robert Latow. Keep that same energy podcast. Let's get to the opening bell. Welcome to the Keep That Same Energy podcast with me, your host, Robert Littal. I have a very special guest today, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the most legendary quarterbacks in college, CFL and NFL football, Warren Moon, joining us today. Warren, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I I love uh, talking football since I can't play it anymore physically, and uh, I played it long enough that I know a little bit about it. So I, I love still talking about it. It's a game that I grew up loving and, and still love it to this day. So the first question that I had for you is, we, we saw what just happened in Miami with, with Tua. What is your whole thought process on, on that situation? Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing well. They were 3-3, three and three, two wins in, in a row. He seemed to be caught off guard uh, by the decision. Do, do you agree with the timing, when it happened, how they went about communicating it? And as a quarterback, how would you feel uh, in Tua's shoes and in, in Ryan's Fitzpatrick's shoes? Yeah, there's a sympathetic side of me that, uh, you know, feels bad for Ryan because even though he knew coming into the season that was going to be his role was to kind of mentor Tua until he was ready to play, I'm sure he thought in the back of his mind, if I'm playing well, they probably won't make that change until – Maybe something happens where the team is losing or I'm not playing well and I've had a couple of bad games. Now they make that change. But uh, they decided to do it now when the team has its bye week. They decided to do it now when the team is playing pretty well and uh, um, they have a really good rhythm going. But in some ways you hate to uh, disrupt that rhythm because Ryan has played well the last two ball games. But on the other side, they've been watching Tua in practice all year long. And I think they see – by how he's practiced that he's ready to play and the team is in a good position. So it's a really a, an, an uncomfortable situation for, for both quarterbacks, but uh, I'm sure Tua is going to try and take advantage of the opportunity. And Ryan's just got to be ready to play because he never knows how Tua is going to react once he gets into to, to the live bullets, so to speak. And he might have to be ready to go out there again. But I do uh, empathize, empathize, with, empathize with him, but I also understand what the Dolphins are trying to do as well. Do you think it's a situation where if Tua struggles in any way that you stick with him no matter what? You made the decision, as long as he's not hurt or anything like that, no matter if you're losing or whatever, or is it a situation where, you know, say it's getting bad, he's not playing well, but they still see an opportunity, say, to make the playoffs. Do you, could you make that switch back, or is it just Tua's the guy now, we got to roll with him through thick and thin? Well, I think it depends on just how bad he might be playing. You know, if, if he's playing where he's just not catching on to things and uh, you got to remember there's veterans on this football team too that, that they acquired through free agency or whatever. And th- those guys want to continue to win. They want to go to the playoffs. That's what, what veteran guys are all about. If they, if they feel like the team is good enough to go to the playoffs, they want to have the best quarterback possible to take them there. And if it's not Tua, then you're going to hear from those guys as well. So Brian Flores is going to have – a decision to make if Tua doesn't go in and play well, 
hopefully that's not the case, that he does go in and plays particularly well and, and this team continues to keep improving. Now, now switching gears a, a little bit, uh, but still on young quarterbacks, uh, you've talked a lot about, you know, being a black quarterback in the NFL, how, it's, how it was for you and, you know, how the changes have been made, the struggles that they, you know, still have uh, to this day. When you see the situation with Dwayne Haskins uh, with the Washington football team, and you see that they, they bring in Kyle Allen, um, they seem to be having the same, not a lot of success either way. What did you think about that situation when it was happening with how Ron Rivera, uh, you know, handled it? And do you think, you know, if Dwayne Haskins, you know, was, was not a black quarterback, if he was a white quarterback, would that leash have been a little bit longer? Yeah, that I'm not sure of because you would hope because Ron Rivera is a, a minority as well, and uh, he's probably had to face some of those same uh, obstacles to get to be a head coach that he would understand a little bit more about that. But I do know that Ron, when he came in, Dwayne Haskins wasn't a quarterback that he drafted. Uh, he gave him a chance uh, through the first three games to uh, see exactly what he could do and what he had at that position. Um, I don't think that was enough time. There's no question about it for a young quarterback who's only going into his second year, having to learn his second new offense, a new coaching staff. Uh, it wasn't like he played uh, terribly bad. He wasn't great, but he didn't play bad. But you, you got to give a guy at least half of the season to, to maybe look and see what he's capable of doing. But Ron went with somebody that he's had before in Kyle Allen from, uh, from Carolina. And like you said, the results were still the same. I just don't think he was given enough time, whether he was white or black, uh, to, to be able to show exactly what he can do, given the fact that he had to learn a new system where he was already learning a system from last year. Uh, it's just not a fair opportunity for, for young Dwayne Haskins. And hopefully this doesn't um, really destroy his confidence going forward, or hopefully there'll be another team out there that maybe wants his services. Which, which side of the street are you on when it comes to, to young quarterbacks? I, I know, you know, if you look at the Troy Aikmans or the John Elways, Steve McNair, uh, Phillip Rivers, uh, a, a lot of those quarterbacks uh, sat for a while, or if they struggled, uh, they were kind of allowed to kind of fight through it. Whereas now, uh, it seems like if you draft a quarterback in the first or, or second round, it's it, it, the pressure to get them out there very quickly um, it, it's immense. And then if they don't succeed very quickly, the pressure to get them out of there is it, immense as well. Do you feel it should go back to a, a time where, you know, maybe the rookie quarterbacks take a year off? Patrick Mahomes did it, and we see the success that he's had. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think every situation is different, but you would love to see a young guy be able to sit back and watch and learn from a veteran, kind of like Patrick Mahomes did with Alex Smith you know, kind of like what uh, Tua's had a chance to do over the first six games of his first year and other quarterbacks who have had success um, sitting behind a veteran and just kind of watching the speed of the game, learning how you prepare for a game each and every week, how, you, how you're supposed to practice. All those different things are going to be valuable to you. There's some people that say you put them out there right away and, and throw them to the wolves and let them play. But I think if, if a guy has a chance to, to learn and sit back a little bit, he's going to always be a little bit better. And I think if you look at um, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you, I can name so many guys that didn't have to play right away that have gone on to have great success. 
But I've also looked at guys like Russell Wilson who played from from day one and what he's been able to do. So I think every situation is different. And a lot of it has to do with what you're surrounded with as a young quarterback. If you come into a, a team like, like Seattle when Russell Wilson took over, they had one of the best defenses in the league. They had a great running game and, and Marshawn Lynch. So he, was, he didn't have to have a lot of pressure put on his shoulders. Where Dwayne Haskins comes into a Washington football team that's not very talented, uh, starting to get better on defense, but more is put on his shoulders. So it all depends on the situation that you go into as a young quarterback, whether you're going to have success early or not. And, and speaking once again of young quarterbacks, uh, not as young, but, you know, Dak Prescott unfortunately has that terrible injury with the, with the Cowboys. And then now we're seeing reports uh, after their first loss where he, he wasn't there, uh, you know, they're criticizing the, the coaching staff uh, anonymously, you know, in your career, when, when that stuff starts to happen, uh, when the anonymous quotes come out, things are getting out to the media, there seems to be a little infighting. Uh, you know, how bad of a sign of that, or is that something that you can overcome, or is this just kind of a product of something that's been going on in Dallas for the you know, last 20 years since, you know, J- you know, Jimmy Johnson left? Well, I think one of the big problems in Dallas is, is leadership. And that, that seems to be a, a leader on that team. But you need more than just your quarterback to be a leader. Who's the, the, the leader on the defensive side of the ball? And that's probably where a lot of these, uh, these, these uh, complaints are coming from, from the defensive side of the ball. So it's up to the, to, to the Cowboys for their leadership to step up and say, hey, we can't let this happen. We can't let this destroy our football team. If you look at yourself on tape and you think that you're doing everything possible to, to, uh, to stop other football teams, whether you're hustling to the football or, or playing your right responsibility on every play, every guy has to look at himself first before he starts pointing fingers at other people. And, and the coaches can't go out there and, and not fumble the football. The coaches aren't out there throwing interceptions. The coaches aren't out there missing tackles. So you got to really look at yourself as a football team before you start uh, – making all these excuses. So Dallas has got to really get their, uh, their team and huddle them up and, and figure out how they're, going to, how they're going to do going forward. They've had a lot of changes on the defensive side of the ball personnel-wise. They've had a new defensive coordinator. They're having to learn a new defense. But again, as I watch them on tape, I don't see guys hustling to the football. I don't see guys really, really giving all-out effort on that side of the ball. And that's one of the reasons why they're giving up 36 points a ball game. So they better look at themselves first before they start pointing figures at other places. <laughs> Man, that makes perfect sense. And uh, the last question that I have for you, and uh, this is one that's kind of been debated a little bit, uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, number one pick uh, for the Browns. When you watch him on tape and, and you watch him with the Browns, and it's still early in his career, do you see franchise quarterback or, or do you see a guy that was drafted number one but is not that guy that can kind of lead them – out of the the dumb the, the the bad place they've been in as the Browns for such a long period of time, you know I don't see him as a, a franchise guy that can just carry a team with his arm and with his ability. But I, I see him as a as a piece uh, of an offense that can that can be good enough to help this team win and get to the playoffs. Um, but he's got to stay within who he is, and he can't get outside of that. And and I think Kevin Stefanski at times this year has put him in those situations where they're running the football very well where they're, they're one of the better running football teams in the league, and now he can be uh, effective off play action passing of the football. If you're going to ask him to drop back and throw it, he has you know height deficiencies for one. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to, to throw the football well when he has to drop back and throw it. 
He can throw it on the move a little bit. So you need to use his, his uh, advantages and his strengths. And I think Stefanski at times has been able to do that. But there's been games where they've been able – they've dropped behind in, in, in games, and now he's going to have to try and bring you back with his arm. That I don't think he's going to be able to do. So Baker's going to have to just play within himself. The Cleveland Browns are going to have to keep him within himself. And they're going to have to run the football very, very well in order for Baker to be uh, very effective. I appreciate you coming on the show. These insights from a Hall of Fame quarterback, it always opens my eyes because you guys see it totally different than us fans that are watching the media that are watching. Um, how can, um, you know, the fans, if they want to reach out to you, see what you're doing right now today, uh, what's the best way for them to kind of follow you and, and keep up with what's going on in, in your world? Well, they can follow me on social media at WMoon1, and uh, I think that's probably the best way. And um, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of different shows around the country, whether it's podcasts like yourself or, or different interviews. So, um, you know, my opinion is going to be out there a little bit, but you can also, like I said, follow me on, on social media that way. And a lot of the posts, probably this show as well, will be posted and they'll be able to watch these things. So that, that's the best way to be a hold of. Uh, thank you very much. You have a wonderful day and I appreciate your insight. And hopefully we can get you back on the show during the season and in the playoffs. Thanks again to the great Warren Moon for coming on. Those are just the questions I had. I hope those are maybe some of the questions you had. <laughs> but in general, when guests come on, I ask questions that I'm interested in. And then I hope that you like them as well. I thought it was interesting he said Baker Mayfield's not a franchise guy. You can win a championship without a franchise quarterback. Uh, just a lot of other factors have to be in place. You know, maybe you have a once-in-a-lifetime defense like the Ravens or the Bears back in the day. You know, maybe a quarterback just gets hot at the right time. Like, you know, Doug Williams type of situation. Mark Rippon type of situation. Brad Johnson, you just get hot. Normally you have to have exceptional play callers. You have exceptional play callers. You know, a Nick Foles situation, he gets hot. Exceptional play caller. They're running, they have a lot of, uh, energy, a lot of positive movement. Normally, though, you need to have a star quarterback to win uh, a Super Bowl, but it's not always like that. You can get around it. So, like, you can, you know, Baker is is not going to be, you know, Peyton Manning. You know, he's, he's not going to be Joe Montana. He's not going to be Brady, you know, but you can get to us. I mean, you know, you can be Matt Ryan, I guess. You can get to a Super Bowl. He just needs to get hot. And he has to have exceptional play calling around him. I mean, he has the talent. If you look at the Browns offensively, like top to bottom, they one of the most they have talent. You know, what do you think, you know, Patrick Mahomes would do with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and two running backs? Well, you kind of see it in Kansas City. They got a bunch of good wide receivers, very good running backs, and they got an exceptional play caller. So we have to see. But I thought those were some good answers uh, from Warren Moon. I'm sure to ruffle some feathers uh, around around the NFL, but it's honest. So in the uh, this though still the opening bell segment, I figured I should probably use the entire segment to very, even though it's very simple, it's not complicated. Very simple. It's a very simple concept, which I'm going to explain. I explained to it many, 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 many times. So th- 
this probably if you if you listen to my live streams, my podcast, if you listen to me on on TMZ, other shows, I've talked about this a lot. It, it makes some people uncomfortable, but it's the truth. It's the truth. So you probably saw Jason Whitlock interviewing Donald Trump, right? And of course, that's not surprising, you know, to you. You know, because Whitlock sold his soul a long time ago. He sold his soul just like he pays for the strippers. Like, it, it, that's just what happened. But the part that I always like to explain to people is the very important part. Certain individuals, when they make that turn and they they sell out, they sell their soul, they've d- determined that they're going to look out for themselves more than any. That's the most important thing. They don't care about anything else except self-satisfaction, right? You may think that when you are criticizing them, making fun of them, calling out their hypocrisy, calling them names, uh, you know, sellouts, coons, shucking and jiving, buck dancing, whatever you want to do, all those things. You think that that may bother them. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Because once you have sold your soul, then the, the end goal is just about, like I said, self-satisfaction. And for a lot of people, that self-satisfaction is money, attention, you know, whatever else that comes with that, fame. That's what, what matters. They don't care about anything else. They don't care if uh, a million people dislike them on social media. They don't care if the only people that are bigging them up or racist and KKK and all these other people. They don't care about that. All they care about is the attention, the fame, the money. So if you're Whitlock, that's always been his end game. He doesn't care anymore. I think it's one of the reasons why he went to OutKick. Because there would be no restraint. But there's also a benefit in it. You now inter- He wouldn't have been able to interview Trump if he was still at Fox Sports. If he was at ESPN or CBS, he can't do that. You have to go all the way to get to that point. So no matter all of this stuff that you said, you of canceling and da 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 da, it doesn't work. Because their end game is to get exactly where Jason Whitlock is. He made a lot of money at ESPN. They were paying him even when they decided not to run with him with the undefeated. He made a lot of money at FS1, seven figures, during his time there. To, to basically say those things on national television. He bought in the OutKick, basically owns half the company. Now he's going before Congress and he's meeting with the president. He's bigger than he's ever been. No pun intended. And you probably asked him, Rob, how? How? How is it possible when there's so much dislike from pretty much everybody? And the answer is simple. If you're black, 
and you choose that path, there's always going to be money for you. Always. You know why? Because there, as long as there is a section in media, news, just the population, as long as there's a section of white people that are racist, prejudiced, ignorant, hate black people, they're always are going to open the door to the black person that can say the things that they can't say so they can co-sign it on the back end. So Trump, excuse me, so Whitlock can go on and talk to Trump and say Antifa is the new KKK. He can say bad things about Black Lives Matter. He can talk trash about Kaepernick. Things that if a white journalist, analyst, politician said it, it could be career ending. But if you say, well, Jason Whitlock said it, the black man said it, I'm just kind of agreeing with him. And if he's black, he can't be quote unquote racist. There'll always be money for that. There's always money for that. The reason why is you may not like it, but the racist, the prejudiced politician, the president, they have the wealth. They have the money. I was just reading a story about a guy that got arrested for child pornography, right? And in the in the the feds want to keep him in jail and they're like, why he got he shouldn't get bail. And and they had all this stuff about him getting ready to he wanted to assassinate Joe Biden. He had the guns, you know, just like all the MAGA people. He had the guns, the AK, you know, things. He had all the, the MAGA paraphernalia. He knew where Joe Biden lived. He had all of that stuff, right? But the thing, more than anything else, more than anything else that I saw that was interesting uh, to me uh, was this, was that he also had $500,000 in cash on him. A half a million dollars in US, in U.S. currency. A half a million for some, a child pornographer that was planning to kill Joe Biden at Wendy's. How? How does someone that sick in the head accumulate a half a million dollars? That's, that's what I'm talking the, the, They still have the wealth. They still have the money. So when, when I talked about not falling into Jason Whitlock's trap, when he was talking about Katie Nolan and Maria Taylor and stuff like that, I, I, you know, I tell you guys that, but it, it's almost an impossibility <laughs> because it's difficult not to react to someone so blatantly being disrespectful of one's race. But the fact of the matter is, is the only way those type of black people aren't relevant to the racist white people in charge is if that black person is irrelevant. And what I mean by that is they only use you when they feel like they can. That's why they kind of moving away from Candace Owens. She's losing a little bit of her relevance. What was it, silk and diamond, diamond and silk or whatever? You know, it was hot for a minute, lose a little re relevance. They move away from them. But the only way you can make sure that they're not relevant is to not pay any attention to them. You know, the reason 
And, you know, the reason that certain people in media make five, six, seven million dollars a year has nothing to do with their talent in a sense. Like their talent on TV, their talent writing or whatever it may be. They make that money because they cause people to care. It's their relevancy. You know, their ability to go viral. That's, that's where we're at. See, back in the day, you know, you just had to have talent. But th- that's not it anymore. Like somebody, you know, like somebody asked me, you know, should I go to journalism school? I'm like, well, you should. But I'll be honest with you. Even if you do that, you have a better chance becoming famous on TikTok than going to journalism school and trying to do it the proper way. Now, my thing is do both. If you're young, if you're 19, 20, 21 years old right now, and you want to be in journalism, 18, 17, whatever, even in high school, you know, start building your social footprint now. Build it now. Make sure you got a YouTube channel, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Make sure it's all set up now. Build your brand now. Learn why you're going on, but build your brand now. And frankly, it's more likely if you say something, you know, crazy and go viral, you get on. You're just, you know, hard work and talent. That's why ESPN put that stuff behind the paywall. Because they're paying their top-end viral talent so much money that their actual, you know, reporters that they're paying, they don't have any money for. So they either got to put stuff behind the paywall. So, yeah, I wasn't surprised that Jason Whitlock was doing what he was doing. Not surprised at all. And it, it, his, remember Kanye? Kanye, when he was just regular Kanye, was in debt. MAGA Kanye got two, three billion dollars. That's not a coincidence. How many times they tried to cancel Kanye? How many times? How, how many times? It, it doesn't happen. There are certain things and certain people that can get around that. And especially if they're black. If you're black and you talk about black people, there's going to be something out there for you. If you're Terry Crews or whatever, it's going to be something out there for you. Jason Whitlock realized this a long time ago. I don't know if he was just jaded from his initial time at ESPN or whatever, but at some point, he went from someone that was, you know, respected, more or less, to what he is now, a caricature. It's kind of the same way that, you know, Skip Bayless always been the way Skip Bayless has been. I was reading books that Skip wrote in the 90s about the Cowboys, but he also figured out there's a way to manipulate that and make a whole lot more money than writing for a newspaper. Figure that early. You know, Stephen A. Smith is soft-spoken in person. He knows that character is what makes the money. It's the character. It's not the person, it's the character. So in a sense, media has become like Hollywood. If you have a proper character, you can get paid. And sometimes that character is the villain. Now, I don't know what happens when, you know, when all this is over and done with with the election. But you can't be shocked. And I'm sorry, 
it's a tough pill to swallow, but Whitlock is winning. He's winning. With all of his snacks and all of his escorts, sadly, he's winning. What in the blue hell? There were so many what in the blue hell stories over the last couple of days. I mean, I do two shows a week. It's not been, it's been that long. It's been like two days. So we're going to have to go through them um, lightning round style. Or this podcast ended up being four hours long. That's it. Which one we want to start with? Uh, which one we want to start with? Um, oh, John Wall. John Wall, the people's champ. Uh, he was doing an interview with ESPN and he was playing spades uh, while the interview was on, while he was giving a live interview. And, you know, people had various opinions on that. It was professional, you know, if it wasn't professional, was it disrespectful? Was it funny? Was it hilarious? You know, I, obviously, if, if I'm doing an interview with someone, I would like for them to, to pay attention. You know, maybe take five minutes out of your time to focus on, you know, what I'm doing. On the flip side of that, um, when you see someone is disengaged like that, and trust me, I have to interview a lot of boxers, and, and they're not the greatest at that. You have to figure out a way to get them engaged. So, you know, you may have to pivot off of what your questions were. You know, ask them, you know, I know I heard him say he only had one book. You know, ask him, you know, how, you know, does he have a big joker? I mean, do something. Switch it up. You see him up there doing something. I mean, maybe they didn't know he was playing spades. That's kind of a black thing. I don't know. John Wall's interesting, you know, to me. Another another, another guy that I don't know if we, we ever got his full potential because of the injuries. Maybe they caught him, what, like maybe a month ago. He was he was out flashing game signs with no shirt on. I mean, you know. What they should have did was they should have rebooked him. No, no pun intended again. And, you know, had him, you know, talk about, you know, his spades, you know, prowess. And that's what I would have did. So I can't really call it. I mean, I, I found it funny. And, you know, I don't take these things very seriously as a journalist. I'd have laughed it off. But I know some journalists take that stuff very seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can't call it. Uh, Bill Cosby had another mugshot come out. He looks terrible, but he's 150 years old. Uh, people say free Bill Cosby like a little boosie. There was some sympathy for him on social media. Uh, people didn't like that. Um, uh, the thing about Bill Cosby is this. I remember uh, I talked to Mike Tyson years ago um, before he kind of settled down a bit. <laughs> but I remember he was at a fight and I was talking to Mike Tyson and, and the, the belief was that Mike you know, what he got arrested for, what he went to jail for. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't think he did. Um, and he's always proclaimed his innocence uh, uh, about that, the situation with him and Desiree Washington. But I remember Mike said, uh, it was a very it was a very profound quote. Uh, Mike said that, you know, no, he didn't do uh, what he was accused of doing, what he went to jail for, but he had done things in his life that, you know, definitely warranted the time that he spent in jail. You know, basically saying he had did a lot of things that he had never got caught uh, doing, that he was never punished for, that was violent type of thing. So he couldn't really get mad about being in jail because it's not like he's never done anything that to deserve that jail time. It's a very interesting uh, quote. And I kind of use that with Bill Cosby because, you know, it's pretty clear 
he was doing shady things, you know. So no matter if you believe or not believe the, the reason or the person, the, the singular person that has him in jail, uh, it's pretty clear that over some decades he, he, he was doing some things uh, that warranted jail time. <laughs> so that's the way I kind of look, look at look at that. It's like it's it's one thing if it's just a singular case. You know, one case, he said, she said, then, you know, there's, I guess, different sides of who you want to believe in those cases. But, you know, he himself, if you go back and listen to the things that he said, kind of admits that he was up to stuff and doing things. You know, he didn't think it was a a big deal that he was doing them. He didn't think they were wrong. Every quote unquote, everybody was doing them. But that stuff catches up with you. So, you know, I don't I don't feel any sympathy for Bill Cosby, and first off, Bill Cosby doesn't particularly care for for, for black people in in the first place. He, you know, he has his ideals of what a black person should be, uh, but doesn't particularly care for. I mean, you know, when when Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor was talking about him, like this is you know, Richard Pryor was talking about him in the seventies, and Eddie Murphy was talking about him in the eighties, and yeah, <laughs> seems like everybody knew. Uh, Odell Beckham said he, he, he couldn't get the Rona cause his, you know, he told the Rona he, he built differently. Now when Odell Beckham catches the Rona, yeah, that, that quote's going to come back to, to haunt him. Yeah. It's a virus. It, it really, it, it doesn't just cause you're Odell Beckham. It's funny because Odell Beckham was sick. So he caught a cold or a flu or something. So obviously viruses do make their way into his body. He's not immune from sickness. You know, he's not Homelander. I, I just binge watched The Boys, so uh, you may get some more of those references here and there. Uh, did you see Young Buck? Uh, G-Unit? Well, former G-Unit. I think 50 kicked him out and took all his money. I think he's still on his masters. Hold on, I'm a little parched. I gotta take a drink. That's very refreshing. Uh... Did you see Young Buck? I think it was in either Tennessee or Georgia. His girlfriend shot at him. They didn't say why. When a mug shot, she didn't look like she was sorry. <laughs> um, her shooting stance looked like she had shot at him before. My wife always says, you know, you don't know if somebody loves you unless they try to kill you. I think she's being facetious with that, but I'm not sure exactly. You don't. I don't know if you actually want to get killed. Or have the thought that you may wake up and get shot. <laughs> I don't know what he did, but when someone tries to, if a woman tries to shoot at you, there's only so many things uh, that could possibly uh, happen. Speaking of shooting, uh, Tori, um, is it Linnaeus? I think it's Linnaeus. Uh, went on uh, IG Live to uh, plead his case of why he's being railroaded for shooting Megan the Stallion. Uh, in the feet, and I know it's, it's you know it's foot or two foot, so I don't know whatever. He shot it in the feet, and you know he, he he talked around it. He never really gave he really didn't give a description of exactly actually what happened. Uh, you know he didn't say who the shooter was. He just you know he just was talking. Probably they probably both talking too much. It's a criminal case now. Um, was it an accident? Did he mean to do it? Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's just one of those things like, 
if you're innocent, like truly innocent, maybe best to just sit back, not say anything, wait to wait for that perfect time, prove your innocence, and then you know, kind of sit back and look at everybody with egg on their face. Uh, going on uh, the gram and trying to play Perry Mason, probably not for the best. Probably not for the best for Tory. Um, I would just lay low uh, and just let the, the the judicial system work its way through. Granted, the judicial system is kind of jacked up, but that's really your only only option uh, right now. I don't think going on IG live because here's the thing about individuals. And I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the honest truth. You may, people may not like it, but it's the truth. Um, a lot of these people don't care about Tory. They don't care about Megan. They care about drama. That That's what they care about. Uh, they care about drama. That's that's what they like. You see what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Like they, they, don't, they don't care that Megan got shot. They don't care that if Tory Lorenz was or wasn't the shooter. Uh, they care. Oh, Kylie Jenner's in it. They care about the drama. So when either one of them talk about it, it gives them something to discuss themselves among themselves on social media because they have no lives of their own. And it gives us, and I'm not, you know, excusing myself from it. It gives us in media something to talk about because you know we have to get that information out to the people that love the drama so as soon as he hit that live like the shade room was on it they had like 30 videos they on it this is how people make their living i've noticed that a lot of people say they care but they don't okay uh people say they care but but they don't care they really don't they care about whatever the next thing is that they can argue about. A lot of the stuff you see people arguing about on social media, they seem so passionate about, they don't really care. Like, especially in regards to relationships or parenting or politics, they don't. They just want to argue. They just say stuff that they saw on Google. Like, they, they just don't care. Trust me on this. Phil Collins, Stu Stu Studio. Easy lover. Phil Collins, something in the air tonight. Saw that story, right? So Phil, <laughs> Phil married when, I forget when, back in the 80s or something. Phil married this young girl. He was like 44. She was like 21 or something. So Phil married this, this young lady back in the day. They, they stayed married for about a decade, have a couple of kids. Then they get divorced. And then Phil gives her $47 million to go away. Like my first thought was like, I knew Phil, I know Phil Collins was rich. I didn't know he was like, I can give my ex-wife $46 million to go away rich. But I guess he is. Actually, I'm going to look that up right quick. Do you mind? Let's see. Phil Collins Network. I do this from time to time during the show because I don't like to end. I don't like to stop. This is like real. Like This is not like I don't have no script or anything like that. Let's see. Phil Collins is worth $300 million. Good God almighty. Well, yeah, I guess if you got, if you got, if you got $300 million, you can, you can part ways with 47 I guess. Anyway, back to the story. So, he gives a $47 million. I'm going to have to read up where he got all this $300 million from. 
I mean, I know Phil Collins got some 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 bangers, but he must got some other stuff going on. I, them tours must have been hidden. Um, I lost train of thought. Oh, the, so yeah. So he gave $47 million to go away. So 10, 15 years later, they get back together. Don't ask me why. They get back together and they're dating. They're not, they didn't get remarried. They're just like dating boyfriend, girlfriend. Phil goes out and, and goes to go somewhere, I guess, to continue to amass his $300 million somewhere. Um, and when he comes back, he can't get into his house. The, the the ex-wife is, is married a, a Vegas stripper who's like 21 himself and unlocked Phil out of his house and got armed guards at the house to make sure Phil can't get in. And I guess, you know, she had $47 million, and I think it was tax-free. <laughs> so I guess you could afford armed guards. So Phil can't, and his house is worth $33 million. So Phil can't even get in his own house. I'm just saying that 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 is Phil was an actor before going into music. I'm sorry, reading about Phil. He was he was an actor before then. Phil, you know, what else does Phil do? I'm just looking. So you get more success combining film and music. That's just a lot. You got a couple of Grammys in there. Okay. He he did an autobiography. And uh, and a, uh, with a tour, and got forty five million. So I was like, "Dang, my guy is always making some money." Anyway, he can't get in this house, so that's why I got Dr. Dre uh, <laughs> saying, "See, I told you." I don't know why he would get back with it in the first place. Anyway, moving on. Uh, what, what else I got? Oh, Jeffrey uh, Tobin. <laughs> now I only, I only knew Jeffrey Tobin because he had did the book, uh, the the People versus OJ, which turned into the was it the, was it FX or ESPN that did the I don't know which one. I think it was FX that did the the little mini series uh, about it. And I guess he was on a Zoom call and you know he was handling his business. <laughs> you smell what the Rock is cooking. At first I was gonna cut him some slack because I'm like. You know, he's old, he's Zoom, he doesn't know what's going on, he's, you know, it's a boring meeting. But then they was like, man, he's a racist and MAGA and all of this other stuff, so I'm like, well, screw him then. Even OJ chimed in. You know if OJ's chiming in on stuff, laughing at you, you know it's bad. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. Often, you know, I, I got, like, I have pants on, but, you know, it'd be sleep pants. I mean, you know. You know, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. And lastly, there was a story about a man who went to Las Vegas to stay at the Venetian. He never stayed at the Venetian. It's one of the higher end uh, hotels in Vegas. So it's not like Circus Circus or anything. It says when he gets in the room, he sees women's panties and used condoms and almost destroyed his relationship. And people debated for a full day and a half on if he was telling the truth or not. The reason being is if you and your lady are checking in at the same time, why would she even be suspicious that you've done something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how would that ruin your relationship? 
You know what I mean? Like if if you and your lady has fl- flown in or driven in from wherever you're at, you, you went to the front desk together, you got your keys together, you rode up the elevator together, you go in the room, you open the door. It's a random room. You didn't know what room number it was until you checked in. Then all of a sudden you open the drawer and you see some paint. How would she blame you for that? The only way in my mind that I could see someone getting upset about that from the opposite sex is if you were there first, <laughs> you know, and you, you had some time to be there, some hours, a day, a night or something. You were there, you beat her there. So maybe it was one of those mutual flouts or something, you know, where you're coming from different locations. And then when she got there, she went to put her stuff in the drawer and, you know, she saw said panties. I don't know. The, then again, somebody could have just made the whole thing up. I don't know. I so once I did the story, I was so waiting on the Venetian to hit me up and say uh, and give their side of the story. But as of uh, today's date, <laughs> I have not heard from them. It is a wild times in 2020, I tell you. To the Injustice League. The Injustice League. I want to read a part of this letter or statement that ex-Florida uh, State head coach Bobby Bowden uh, wrote, or his PR team uh, wrote. Uh, Bowden was uh, in the hospital, had the Rona. He got the same drugs that Trump got, uh, and he's, he's out. Now, listen, I don't want anybody to die or anything like that. But he got out, and as soon as he got out, he said one of the reasons he wanted to live was so he could be around to vote for Trump. Now, I've said this many times. Your political affiliations are yours. I've never said, you know, don't vote for who you want to vote for. If you want to vote for Trump, that is your prerogative. That does not mean you can't be judged for it, but it is your prerogative, and I'm not going to cause a big, you know, fuss about it. The problem, in this sense, is sometimes when I read why people are going to vote for Trump, it really lets me know how much these people hate black people. <laughs> it's just anybody that's not white. It's anyone that's not white. You know, so I just want to read this part from Bobby Bowden. I just want you to, to, to listen to what he had to say. So he was talking about, you know, him uh, getting the same drugs as Trump. And then he said this. The one thing that all of us parents and grandparents can do for our children and grandchildren in the next couple of weeks is to vote. We have to get out and vote for President Trump because reelecting him is our only chance to leave the next generation with the same heritage, beliefs, and opportunities that Ann and I had and that many of you had. There are about 45 of us Bowdens around. Most of us live in Florida, and I promise you that almost all of us will be voting for Trump. And the ones that don't won't be telling me about it. So please take the time, it, for the sake of our children and grandchildren to keep America great and vote for Donald Trump. Now, I thought this was interesting. Not so much that, you know, an old white man wants to vote for Trump, but, but two reasons, first off. The first is that it's not even implied. It's, it, it's really clear. That he's saying that put reelect Trump so the next generation 
the same to have same heritage, beliefs, and opportunities that Ann and I and many of you had. Now, black people d- did not have the same opportunities <laughs> that Ann and, and, and Bobby had. Especially a 91-year-old Bobby Bob. That means, you know, it's not like he's 21. He's 91. Meaning that he he's, I mean, that's almost 100 years. So is it 2020? So that means he's born 19, what, 21? I mean, that's a lot that's happened in 1921-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2020-1931-2
think about your grandkids. That's why. I, that's why. I wonder if Ice Cube has figured it out yet. Uh, I wonder if Ice Cube knows what's going on. You think so? I never called Ice. I don't think Ice Cube's a sellout. I don't think he's a terrible person or anything. I think he has very good intentions. I do. And I want to talk about something else in regards to Ice Cube at the end of the, uh, the show. But, come on, man. They, they're using you as a prop. They're using you as a prop. I, I wasn't watching Fox News, but I saw a tweet that said, if somebody from Fox News said, Ice Cube, say his name first. Ice Cube, 50 Cent, Herschel Walker, Jason Whitlock. Hopefully they'll get some of the black male vote over to Trump. See, it doesn't matter if Ice Cube says, I don't endorse Donald Trump. They don't work like that. Like, they, <laughs> they, these are people that work off lies, like straight up lie right to your face. So, so yeah, you can say, I don't endorse Trump, and they're going to say, Ice Cube endorses Trump. Doesn't matter what you say. Don't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you, you've done. You've just been, affiliation with them is an endorsement. So I, I don't know if he's figured it out. He's going on all these shows and saying that he doesn't endorse Trump, but it doesn't matter. It simply, it simply doesn't matter. So I hope he and others have figured it out. I think like the difference between, you know, 50 Cent's a troll, like a high-level troll, always has been for a very long time. That's his thing. He has, he, he's one of those people that, I think understands that people huff and puff, but they rarely blow houses down. So 50 has said and done all type of crazy stuff. You still got a show on ABC. You're still watching Power Part 9, regardless of the writing. That's kind of the Kanye thing. Kanye's like, yeah, people say all this stuff about me, but if I, if I put out two minutes of me just humming... I get a million views. See, once you figure that out, once you figure out that your limits, so you can just pretty much say anything and, and people going to get mad, but they still going to come back to you, it's, it's kind of empowering. So yeah, yeah, 50 Cent doesn't care what you think. <laughs> he doesn't care. 50, for, and look, 50 Cent would go and, and go snort coke with, 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 with Trump. <laughs> it doesn't matter to him. He's a troll. People don't really take him seriously, but he doesn't care. He really doesn't. He flip-flops just depending on where the wind goes. Get two more weeks. We got? we got less than two weeks. Less than two weeks, right, for the election. Hopefully, man, I'll be glad when it's over. I really will. One way or the other, I just, you know, I'll just be glad when it's over. Two quick things before I get to the real meat of this segment. First off, uh, Miami Heat forward uh, Duncan Robinson. Uh, you might have saw him during the uh, the bubble playoffs in the NBA Finals, hitting a lot of threes. Uh, Duncan uh, kneeled against racism and police brutality um, the whole time while in the bubble. Uh, he also had say their names on the back of his jersey uh, throughout the bubble playoffs. 
and you know seems like a nice enough uh, guy that uh, you know supported the cause and supported Black Lives Matter. Well, come to find out, he has a girlfriend that's that's MAGA, like super MAGA. I mean, bucket hat, t-shirt wearing, go to Trump rallies, MAGA, and you know it, it can only be one or two things, and both of them are kind of bad if you think about it. You know, either A, he was just kind of faking the funk. That's kind of an old school saying. And he really doesn't care about Black Lives Matter or any of that stuff. But, you know, he did, He was going with the wave, going with what the team was doing and trying not to cause, you know, too much controversy and, and things like that. But he really doesn't care. Um, and he might, you know, possibly be MAGA himself. Uh, the second thing is he, he does actually care about Black Lives Matter, but he's dating someone that has philosophical differences and political differences than him, which is not, under normal circumstances, the worst thing in the world, right? I mean, you're not going to agree with everything, you know, with your, you know, your spouse, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not something that normally happens. I mean, a lot of times, uh, you and your spouse your significant other, you have a lot of differences and that's kind of what brings you together because you kind of mush together the differences and and learn from each other. In almost any other political year, you know, it really wouldn't be a big deal except it's MAGA and it's Trump. Like that's, you know, that's, that's a, it's a far gap. Like ideally in our country, what you would like but which rarely happens, unfortunately, is you would like most people to maybe have some, you know, it's okay to have some fundamental differences or some fundamental issues, but have enough common decency to, you know, agree on most stuff and respectful to disagree on other things. Like, if you're pro-life or pro-choice, there are discussions to be had about that, but you could probably walk away from that with different views. If you're pro death penalty, not death penalty, there are things that you could, you know, say, well, you know, we just have a difference of opinion. It's very difficult though, if you are pro racist <laughs> and have someone that's not racist. And, you know, if you kind of leaning toward that MAGA side, I mean, just from everything that we know about them is that, you know, they're white supremacists. Um, you know, unless she's making, $400,000 a year that we don't know about. Maybe it's about the taxes, but beyond that, you, you know, you have to like that proud boys, that side of it, that militia, that, that angry, that, you know, I don't have to do anything I want to do that all lives matter side. And if you're on that side can, and, and, but you are someone like Duncan Robinson, which is, is shown that you actually, allegedly, supposedly, cares about Black Lives Matter. How can you lay down with someone like that? I don't know the answer to it. But it's, it's one of those things where the energy feels off. And and maybe you guys could tell me, is that possible? If you were non-MAGA, and I'm not saying you got to be pro-Biden, or you just against Trump, against MAGA. Could you date someone that, you know, was walking around with a Make America Great hat on, a bucket hat? Could you? I, I don't know. I couldn't do it. 
But I mean, maybe you could. Maybe that that just doesn't matter to you. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But this definitely doesn't seem to be keeping uh, the same energy, Mister Robinson. So uh, I don't. He doesn't have to speak out on it. It's his personal life, and it's, that's all him. But I, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, the second thing, before once again I get to the meat of the segment, there was an anonymous NBA agent. Uh, they did a uh, one of those polls and comments where you could be anonymous and speak freely uh, on the athletic. And the anonymous NBA agent was really pissed off at LeBron and Rich Paul. And was like, they're doing illegal activities in California. They're not doing their clients right, et cetera, et cetera. He's very upset uh, about it. Felt like it was malpractice going on. He said if Rich Paul was a lawyer, he would have been disbarred five times. And he just seemed very upset that, you know, two black men was kind of running uh, the industry. But what I thought was interesting about his comments is that he mentioned that what Rich Paul and LeBron was doing was the same as what David Falk and Michael Jordan had done and the same thing with Rob Palenka and Kobe uh, had done. It's basically if you have a marquee uh, player, it's kind of easier to bring in uh, other players into the fold because, you know, the younger players idolize uh, the older player. You know, so, hey, if it's good enough for Michael Jordan, if it's good enough for Kobe Bryant, it's good enough for me. I just want to, oh, also, I just want to be around Michael Jordan. I want to be around Kobe Bryant and quote, unquote, I want to be around LeBron James. So I didn't understand exactly what he was upset about, except the fact that, you know, Rob Polinka and David Falk are white. What it seemed to me uh, was the particular agent did not have said marquee player, so he could not, quote, unquote, cheat the system the same way that LeBron does. Because, you know, LeBron can bring in, talk off the record to these guys, Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, Ben Simmons, you know, he could get these guys into clutch and Rich Paul, and he's not an agent, but they want to, you know, be involved with the LeBron brand. So it always seemed to me, I remember when LeBron and and Maverick and Rich all started this, when LeBron cut ties with his, 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 his people back in the day, the people that initially repped him and, and, and did his marketing and was his agent, you know, when everybody laughed at him because they didn't believe that, you know, black men could could handle the business. They said they would fail and all of this stuff. So it really, it, it bothers them. You know, there's always going to be bad deals like for, for all races of agents. You know, there's, there's going to be bad deals. There's going to be good deals. There's going to be bad deals. You know, but you really only see them really, you know, I've never heard uh, anyone imply that an agent was doing illegal activities in California because LeBron talks to a lot of people and brings them into the fold. That's some hater stuff right there. That's some haterish stuff going on right now. Don't be a hater. Just go out and try to get you a marquee client and then you wouldn't have to worry about this type of stuff. But yeah, that that was that was some hater stuff. There's obviously not they're not keeping their same energy with that because, like I said, he didn't he didn't seem to be that upset that you know 
that Kobe and Rob Palenka did it or Jordan and, and David Falk did it. Very interesting. But now, let me take a deep breath. <sighs> to the meat of keep that same energy. You might have seen a hashtag that said, uh, blame black men. And it was a satire hashtag, you know, because black men feel like they're being blamed for everything. I believe it started after Jamel Hill tweeted something about black men wanting to, uh, wants to be patriotic, patriotic, not patriotic, not patriotic. Something, I don't exactly remember what it was. But whatever it was, it, it pissed off a bunch of guys. And next thing you know, they start this blame black men. Uh, hashtag where it's, I'll blame black men for everything. And also coincided with the Ice Cube stuff. And all of this stuff. People call it Ice Cube to sell out and all of this stuff. Then coincided with the Jason Whitlock stuff. Uh, with the president and everything. Uh, here's my point. I don't, you know, here's the here's the issue that I have. And this comes with age, um, a little age and wisdom. So I, I really think you should pay attention clearly to what I'm saying. We have to stop fighting with each other. We do. We have to stop we have to stop fighting with each other and we have to start ignoring people that aren't for us. We have to stop giving the other side, the oppressor, the advantage because we can't get along with each other. Like I see that happens far too often is that we give the oppressor the ammunition they already have the gun. We give them the ammunition because we're always infighting with each other. We don't look at the bigger picture of what we're doing. We don't look at the bigger picture. We don't. It's it's at times when I say we, I'm talking about all of us, uh, black people. It's sometimes we just see. The personal side for us. It's, it's selfish. Let's just be honest. You know, it's selfish. It's, it's, it's difficult for us with all of the disadvantages that we have going on in this world to then in turn make it more difficult for people that are trying to help us. And you have to identify that. And you can't be selfish in the sense that even if you don't like something, if it's coming from a black person, sometimes it's best to hold your tongue. Because they, when I say they, once again, I'm talking about the oppressor. They like to see it. They like to see us tear each other down. Makes their job easier <laughs> to see us tear each other down. And in some instances for trivial things it makes it easier for the black people like Jason Whitlock to to blossom because we spend so much time in fighting with each other 
that you see that a lot. We always talk about building each other up, building up our communities, building up our brands, building up our self-worth, our self-respect. But on the same token, we're so quick to turn on each other. We're so quick to turn on each other. Like we have to be able to have these conversations without going to the extreme. And that's why I use Ice Cube. Like you should ignore 50 Cent, right? You should ignore Jason Whitlock. You should ignore Herschel Walker, right? Now someone like Ice Cube, I think wants to help. I don't think he had he he wants bad things to happen for us. So I think he wants to help. You got to be able to have an intelligent conversation with him. You can't just call him a sellout and a coon and all of this stuff. You got to try to enlighten him on, look, my brother, I know you want to help, but these people are the devils over here. Be careful. You see how they're using you. You got to show them the light. You, we just, it's, it's, it's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And... I see it all the time. I see it from our own people, our own organizations. I mean, there are some private conversations I'm not going to put public today, at least. But there's going to come a time where I'm going to really start explaining some of this stuff to you behind the scenes. Because behind the scenes, you just don't these some of these organizations that you think are for you. They're not. They're for themselves. They're for them, their pockets. They throw you in the trash. If they see an opportunity for it, if you're not just on their side. It's just not a good thing. We're just, it's not a positive thing. It's not a positive thing for us as people to fight with each other, throw each other in the trash all the time. It's not a positive thing to call each other trash and all of this stuff when you know that either the person or the organization or the individual, whoever, their long-term goal is to help. Like, put your energy on the oppressor. You see what I'm saying? Don't put your energy on people that are helping you. Don't put the... Even if you don't like the person, if you see that they're helping you, don't don't do that. They're helping other people. You hurt other people when you just think about yourself. There's a lot of things about a lot of people that I could say. Choose not to because it would have a trickle down effect on other people who don't deserve it. But people are selfish. People are vain. People are egotistical. They only care about themselves. There is a company that came to me a few months back. Big offer. Big, big offer. And their pitch was, and I kid you not, their pitch was, your people don't care about you. The people that you've helped, that you've put on, that you've given advice to, that you stood strong behind, that you fight for every day, they don't care about you. So why do you care about them? Why don't you come over here? 
start thinking more about yourself, your wife, your kid, your dog, and forget those people. What are you fighting for them for? Because they obviously don't care about you from what I can see. So why don't you come on this side and start thinking about yourself? Cash out. Say how you really feel. Have no filter. Go after whoever you want to go after. We'll be behind you the whole time. A hundred percent. You can fully express how you feel about everything. That was the pitch. But see, you got to understand like when you're being used and you're being a prop. They wanted to use me and my platform to go after certain people, to to do certain comments, to turn into their version of a Whitlock. They were going to pay me handsomely for it. Surely was. Because that's what they do. But I thought to myself, what about the people that do support you? What about the people that didn't bail out on you? What about the people that stood strong for you? What about the people that that are still there for you? What about the people that you could possibly help in the future? See, sometimes it's bigger than you. And you have to make these fork in the road type of decisions at times. Life does that for you. Like, do you want to be a Whitlock? Do you want to? Because once you go, that's it. Like, it's no coming back. It's like either or. Do you want to go, get paid because you're angry and you're upset about what happened and you want to take that rage or whatever out? Or do you want to stay true to yourself? And, you know, very thankful for, you know, my wife. I really am. I really am. We just had a one-year wedding anniversary. The baby's coming. I'm really thankful for her. Because she said, you you know who you are. You know who you are. And what makes you happy. And, you know, just somebody saying that, having your back, it frees you up to, to say there's, there's, you know, it's more important things going on here. It's more important things going on in the world. Don't be selfish. Don't just think about yourself. Think about other people. Think about how you're going to feel about yourself a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Yeah, think about these type of things. Do you want to do this? Do you want to scorch the earth? Is that going to make you feel better? So I'm very thankful, you know, for her. But unfortunately, I still see it. You know, I didn't take the offer. But you know, some of the offer's still there. They hit me up. Still there if you want it. Listen to your podcast. I was good. We can put you on this. You can do this. We can have this. Still there. If I'm willing to sell my soul. 
if I'm willing to take down my own people. But you gotta be you gotta be bigger than that. You gotta you gotta have empathy for people who don't have empathy for you. You gotta I remember there was a time a while back that someone had asked me for a referral for someone to for a, a an event or something like that. And I thought I had the perfect person for them. And when I went to go talk to the person, I had found out they had blocked me and said a bunch of real bad stuff about me and all of this stuff. I still gave the referral. <laughs> I still gave the referral. You you have to decide what type of person you want to be in this industry. People are going to think what they're going to think. People are going to have their own perceptions. But you have to, are you 10 toes down? Are you true to yourself? And I know this is kind of a long rant <laughs> after a long podcast, but I think it's super, super important that especially now, we gotta we gotta stop that. We can't be all we can't be doing all this infighting with each other. Because we're never gonna get anything changed. We can't sit back and, and and let and do the work for Trump. And not just for Trump, for all of these other politicians. DAs, cops, we can't do the, let do the work for them. We can't let we can't. They want to divide us, so they all about divide and conquer. I you know, I got some advice years ago. Back you know you know how I was on social media years ago. You always used to argue with everybody. Then I remember somebody told me an OG told me he said they like that. He's like upper white upper management like that. They like to see. You bicker with each other. You get a kick out of it. I'm not here for anybody's entertainment. I'm not here. I'm not here to, to dance for anybody. So I, I stopped that. I, I, I don't do that anymore. So hopefully, you know, the next time, and you know, you know how they always say, if you help one person, that's 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 good enough. So maybe it's that one time someone thinking about tweeting something against each other, us, our people, that, you know, they just don't send. They delete. And maybe when somebody does tweet something that, you know, rubs in the wrong way, you talk to them in private. You hit them up in a text saying, you know, something just rubbed me the wrong way for X, Y, Z. Can you explain to me why you, you feel that way? Behind closed doors. Everything doesn't have to be a spectacle. Everything doesn't have to be for they their entertainment. Remember that. Don't help the oppressor. Be sure to check out the website, blacksportsonline.com, and register for my email list for all the new updates. Listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online, Instagram, BSO TV, and much appreciation to my podcast partners at ABF Creative for all their hard work in making this weekly podcast a success. I'm out.